I'm Katie Bennett-Stenton, a senior B2B marketing professional with a real interest in digital transformation, change management, and developing amazing content. I live in Melbourne, Australia with my husband and my two mostly delightful children. Having worked in senior marketing roles in the UK, US, and Australia, I've met many inspiring people and benefited hugely from the network, from the power of network and community. In this Katie Talks podcast series, I uncover stories, the stories of influencers, and share their thought-provoking business and leadership insights. Today, I'm delighted to welcome back to the podcast, Catherine Mountford. And Catherine, rather than read your bio, it'd be great if you could introduce yourself, please. Great. Hello, Katie. Thank you for having me back. That's this is exciting being it back. Is. I'm, I'm really delighted. Um, so I'm Catherine Mountford. Um, I have a marketing background. I was in marketing roles in uh, the insurance sector, accountancy and the legal sector. And then since 2005, I focused on recruiting BD marketing professionals in that professional services space. Um, fairly recently, I launched my own company called KM Talent, which is a mix of recruitment and coaching and, and training, and with a strong focus still on that uh, BD and marketing community, but also on innovation professionals as well, particularly in law firms, because that's a real growing area. Thanks, Catherine. Well, we had a lot of really enthused and interesting feedback from the first podcast that we published together. Hence, we're having a second conversation. There are a few no topics pressure. keen to delve into a little bit further. So, Catherine, one of the elements that I'm particularly interested in in terms of where you specialise is the coaching that you do around leveraging LinkedIn and social media. And that's a topic that's really close to my heart. Talk me through this. Mm, it's a topic that's close to mine as well. And, and I guess we both know that because we interact a fair amount on that platform as, as well as mm. others. Look, if we think about this in the context of what I do, which is help people develop in their careers, be it through recruiting them or coaching them or training them, um, LinkedIn plays quite a key role in that, in terms of career development and and job seeking. And, And I also use LinkedIn a lot and have done for years for my own business development for my own engagement yes and a lot of my candidates that I talk to you work in the marketing space I'm also talking to them about how they could use LinkedIn as a platform to help their firms and their partners directors mm-hmm. senior um, stakeholders use it for their own personal brand so I suppose I've got a number of different angles um, that I attach to, to LinkedIn a, a few key things that stand out for me the first one is helping people develop a personal brand now you're excellent at this and I feel like you really know how to do it and also there's an element of it that now comes naturally to you as mm. well but but a learned behavior a you learned know behavior. I think not something that intuitively I did starting out mm. I do now mm. but it's it's interesting I think it's something that's sort of more in the public discourse now isn't yes. it yes yeah definitely Uh, And, you know, what I mean by that is that LinkedIn is a great tool, particularly in the B2B space. Mm. It's a great tool for individuals to develop their personal brand. So, for example, if you are a marketing professional with a particular interest or specialism in the technology sector or the media sector or telecom sector, LinkedIn is a great way for you to be 
positioning yourself that way by um, interacting with people within that sphere. Mm -hmm. So position yourself by sharing uh, content around that topic, by commenting on on other people's um, content, uh, by giving your own view, um, by aligning yourself with people who you think are in the same space as you. And it's a chance to kind of give your opinion as well which which brings out some personality mm, so I think sure. it can be more than just a, a flat um, screen with words on it you can actually really come alive mm-hmm. if you demonstrate your personality and your interests and that gives you a sense of of personal brand and I suppose why is personal brand important well we could do a whole podcast on personal brand right Indeed we could. <laughs> but if we think about it from a job seekers perspective or from a career development perspective um, LinkedIn is where a lot of employers go to look at potential employees Mm -hmm. either from my perspective which is if I get a a, a new name come across my desk is someone I haven't come across before it's your starting point it's my starting Mm. point I might get the CV I might not but the first thing I'll do is go and look on LinkedIn and I'll have a look at where they've worked what positions they're in maybe how many connections they've got who they're connected with what Mm -hmm. groups they're in what they've posted that gives me a really good indication straight away of what kind of candidate I'm dealing with sure and employers do the same employers and potential employers do the same so if you're not on LinkedIn, well, everybody really should be, particularly in the marketing world. Um, if you are on LinkedIn, then make sure that you're, um, you're maximizing opportunity, get across what your personal brand is. And, um, and that really helps. Mm. Does that all make sense? Yeah, it makes good sense. I, I mean, I think touching on one of the, the other elements that you said is, you know, around learning mm. and using it sort of from professional development front I was uh, chatting to my eight-year-old son the other day about something or other and I said to him oh I read a good article recently he said you always say that you (laughs) always say that and then over the course of that weekend he he just kept dropping into conversation I read a good article recently (laughs) but I I mean I do find it to be a really key component to staying up to date staying across what Absolutely. leaders and others are talking about absolutely following the right people and being connected to people and seeing what they their view is yeah and then jumping in and having a discussion mm-hmm. about that you know learning from reading content but learning from other people so it's like it is like having a discussion it is and you know can can open you up to a whole array of people who might not be geographically located in the same absolutely. part of the world as you and giving you exposure absolutely. and on trade to and there's a great example of that. Um, there's a, a general counsel, um, a, a guy called Nia, who recently posted um, a, a kind of question to, to LinkedIn, which was that he had been talking to a law firm and they had been talking about how the BDN marketing um, professionals were kind of not really there to engage with clients. And he was fascinated by this and said, well, how come law firms have really talented business development, marketing, innovation professionals, but aren't necessarily putting them in front of clients? How is that possible? Now, he posted that. I had a look actually this morning. There were 43 comments made on this post. Um, There was comments from the UK, Australia, the US, Spain, New Zealand, people from all different angles of law firm Mm. life giving their opinions. 
um, sparking other people to make comments or to maybe disagree. Okay. And it was fascinating. And I got to, to see a few people globally who I'd not heard of before who were doing some brilliant stuff in the community. So you're absolutely right. That global reach is, is huge. Yeah. Well, just as you say, exposure perhaps to some fairly disparate views or different mm. different takes on things that, mm. that if you're operating, as many people do, in a bit of a bubble with people who broadly agree with our views of the world, you don't necessarily get exposure to. Correct, correct. There's probably one other thing I'd mention on, on the LinkedIn and leveraging it, which is um, the power of community um, and the power of being in a community and a network and how that can lead to potential opportunities. Mm -hmm. So yes, I'm, I'm a recruiter, but I'm always telling people, you may not get your next role through a recruiter sure. or an advert. Mm -hmm. And the more senior you get, the more likely that is, that it's going to be through your network. Mm -hmm. So the power to be in a community and to be top of mind, yes. to be front of mind, you know, often you might have a couple of, you know, senior people meeting up for a coffee and one might say to the other, oh, we've been looking for so-and-so for a while and sure. can't find anyone. And that other person may say, you know, there's this person on LinkedIn who often comments on things. Mm. They always look really good. Yeah. This is their name. Why don't you have a look yeah, at them? Yeah, sure. It can often be that, that simple. Um, but you've got to be in it and you've got to be top of mind. Absolutely. Well, I, I, I'm going to quote my <laughs> eight-year-old son again, oh. but I, uh, I'm reading... Um, Kirsten Ferguson and Catherine Fox's book yes. uh, at the moment um, about women celebrating yeah. other women. And, you know, there's a line in there that, that says something to the effect of only about 10% of board roles are, are externally advertised, that yes. the vast bulk of them are through, through connections, contacts and, you know, d direct invitations, which come, comes um, fairly neatly into... Into that line that absolutely absolutely and i don't know about you but i find i find linkedin quite fun yeah i do i love I do. jumping in and seeing what mm. people are saying and um you know seeing what i can learn and 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 maybe it is that sense of community mm. maybe it feels good to be part of a community um, and to be engaged with a with a like-minded network maybe well, I, I think so I we're mean, wired that our, way aren't we well Maslow's hierarchy yes. of needs tells us that that's one of our most basic needs, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I think you're right. So, Catherine, you recently established your own consultancy and talk about advising people who are looking to move from one industry to another. Mm. I did this quite recently, and so it's something that, that really interests me. Mm. You know, I, I thought quite long and hard about this and was a bit of an evolution <laughs> from a personal perspective. Um, and I'm really interested to explore with you what's in the DNA of a successful move and successfully positioning yourself for such a move. Mm. Yeah, it's a really interesting one. And, and I, I mean, I've been having lots of conversations with coaching clients on this recently. I, I had a think about this, um, and I think there's probably five or six key things. I mean, okay. There's a ton in it. The first one is probably courage. The old, you know, the Brené Brown, make yourself mm. vulnerable, uh -huh. have, have courage. Mm -hmm. you know, change is not easy. So I often meet people who say, I just, I don't, just don't know what to do. Okay. I don't know what else I can do. Or I don't know where to start looking. Or... I just don't know what 
roles would be for me in different industries. Mm -hmm. There's a whole range of things that aren't clear, that are unknown, and therefore require a bit of courage. So one of my roles, I think, is to support people in being brave, in in having the courage to believe that you can go and do something well elsewhere, Mm -hmm. because I think that's a really important starting point. Yes. Is it's okay to look out of your comfort zone. Mm. It's okay to potentially put yourself in a place where you don't know everything. Sure. And that's the thing. When you've been in a a similar industry for a while, you know stuff. Mm. You have knowledge. You know how things work. And there's a comfort in that. And there is a real fear about going and moving to something else. So I think courage is pretty much a a big factor and a starting point. Okay. The second one which really annoys people is time. (laughs) It takes time and commitment in time to make a move. It's a full-time job looking for a new one, isn't it? It really is. And the commitment to go and do something different, that requires even more time. Sure. And an understanding that something is not just not going to fall into your lap. Yes. You know, if you are a marketing professional in um, professional services, the chances are you're going to get approached a lot about similar roles that you can do fairly easily, that you can see yourself slotting mm-hmm. into. In similar organisations. In similar organisations. Sure. And so, therefore, the change will be relatively easy. Yeah. But it's not the same. Yeah, okay. Um, so, uh, one of the things I talk about is looking at doing research and due diligence, you know, sure. and, and directing people on how to do that because that can be quite onerous. Where do you go? What do you do? Who do you ask? Um you know what research do you need to do i mean often the analogy i use is if you were going to go on holiday and go somewhere you've never been before mm-hmm. you're going to have to do some reading you're going to have you might ask some friends who've been there already sure. you might decide which bits you're going to do you might decide what to read you would go with some knowledge and understanding hmm. before you then committed to going on that holiday yeah i, li- I like that advisor i think Oh, sorry, I like that advice. Trip advisor plays a key role for me in, yes. <laughs> in such pursuits. So it's no different to sure. making what is probably, arguably, way more fundamental than going on a holiday. Yeah, indeed. But, but often it can seem like um, time and research that people don't feel they want to, mm. to, to dedicate yeah. to okay. that. Mm-hmm. So that's my second one is time. So courage and time. Um, I'd say the third one is... Um, Probably going back to what we talked about with LinkedIn, which is the power of networks. Mm -hmm. So I I alluded to that already, which is you utilize your networks. Um, Go and ask people. Go and ask people what it's like in other industries. Mm -hmm. If there are a few industries that you like the look of, find people who you know or ask people if they know somebody who they know. There's a wonderful book. It's kind of old school and it's kind of simple, but what color is my parachute? But it's hugely... Mm. um, appropriate in that it talks about um i suppose courage again having the courage to just ask somebody sure. to go for a coffee yeah to give you advice people love helping they do they love it mm. and i found i mean you can probably hear i'm, I'm a I'm, I'm not from australia um i found australians are particularly enthusiastic um, oh, really? and generous in helping with their time they love to help Ooh, yeah okay. absolutely That's interesting yeah so you know, the, the, one of the premises of the book, What Colour Is My Parachute, is about just ask people, sit down with people, buy them a coffee and mm-hmm. ask them what it's really like and just taking that information and see how that feels. Yeah. So I think that networking and utilising network is probably the third thing. 
But the fourth thing is, is applicable to any job seeker, but so important, which is around the skills of writing a CV and, and interviewing. Yeah. And something linked with that is um, being able to evidence what you've achieved and what you've done from a, from a key achievement perspective. Mm-hmm. Now, anyone listening to this who's been a candidate of mine will probably be rolling their eyes and groaning because everybody gets key achievement homework from okay. me, which is how do you articulate what you've done from an achievement perspective? Because that will help the next employer understand what you can do for them. The value you've added to the business. The value you've added. Yeah. If you are a, let's take an example, a business development professional in a law firm, and a lot of what you've done is around um, pitches and directory submissions and award submissions, yes. talking to a different industry about that probably doesn't give them much of a sense of what that actually means. Mm-hmm. But if you can quantify it and say, I you know, helped the firm win the, the first, they got their first award sure. in, in this, or we got an increase in the amount of coverage we got in a particular directory submission, mm-hmm. or I helped bring in X amount of revenue by by driving new pitches. Well, and that would be the holy grail, wouldn't, wouldn't it? it? The, the impact on the bottom line. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Those are the things that will help a another industry really understand your value. Yeah. So I suppose those for me are the key things. There's loads of other things around you know, getting the right language for the new industry. Sure. But that's bespoke. It depends what on what industry you're talking to. Yeah. But I'd say courage, time, utilising your networks and having job seeker skills are probably the four key things that I would suggest are really important for a switch to a new industry. That is very interesting. It's not Thank easy. No. It's a bit scary. How did you find it? I've put you I'm, on the spot. Yeah, I'm, I'm just... <laughs> I'm wondering how to articulate that. There, look, I'd spent about 20 years in professional services marketing with mm-hmm. about 18 months um, with a dot-com startup and setting up a business selling gourmet baby food. I felt ready for a change, mm. but th- there was still a comp- – and I was really excited and energised by the idea of a change. But but there's still a component that sort of – you know, there there is a risk in moving mm. to any new organisation and – probably a little bit more so to to a different part of the market. And, and you know, some of that's tied in with the just so, well, I have to build my networks again. You know, I know how to do yeah. everything. I know who mm-hmm. all of the key people and stakeholders are. So that's probably relevant moving from any organisation, be it same industry or different. Yes. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, look, it's it, it involves a whole lot of upskilling when you're there. Yeah. But... Uh, you know, putting yourself out of your comfort zone is where you learn. And that that genuinely excites me. So, And, you know, I suppose there are some big financial commitments that some people make. If they want to fundamentally change what they're doing, yes. they have to go and retrain. Yeah, you sure. Know, that's a huge investment, a huge risk. So mm. due diligence and research is even more important in absolutely. that sense. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But no, it's a, it's a really interesting topic, I think. Catherine, you wrote a blog recently about a meeting that you'd had with a BD director who had said that they don't do digital. And, you know, going back to the earlier point that you made around it being really fascinating to watch dialogue and discussion and comments sort of build on, on LinkedIn, you received heaps of feedback on this one. And I'm really keen to explore it a bit more. What's it all about? Is it about fear of not knowing? Is it ambivalence of technology? Is it not having an er- obvious learning path? Talk me, mm. talk me through. It's a fascinating one. Yeah. I have 
a few thoughts on this. I mean, firstly, as you know, I am married to a social media expert in Ian, so we talk a lot about social media. I imagine. Yes, we do. Um, And I'm very lucky because I think a lot of my confidence in social media comes from the fact that I'm talking about it sure. a lot and it's evident and top of mind. So, And with thanks. someone who's trusted and you can be vulnerable and say, I don't understand that or yeah. why do people do this or what's this all about? Yeah. 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 Sure. And, and uh, as I think you know, last week I had a vulnerable wobbly moment and, you know, I mm. needed to get my social media mojo back yep. and it was helpful to have somebody there who I could talk to about sure. that. Look, from the conversations Ian and I have had, I think there's an element of um, change being hard. Same mm. same theme as we've just talked about. There are there's a legacy set of tools and techniques that marketing professionals have always used. Yeah, and that legacy toolkit is not necessarily the toolkit of now. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it's still relevant, but some of it needs to be built on. People are resistant to change. There is a fear of not knowing. So I think there are potentially some senior marketing professionals, and this is no disrespect to any individuals, and certainly I'm not being broad brush about this, but there are probably some leaders who have not come from a digital background, Mm. therefore don't have it in their DNA, are resistant to change and therefore not leading by example yeah and maybe they are sitting in fear Mm. and as a result if the leadership is not driving the use of digital it's very difficult to get anyone else to to buy in yeah or, or to push for that to be on the agenda so i think that's one key thing um motivation Mm -hmm. I think there's probably a lack of motivation to do it. And what do I mean by that? Well, I think in some industries, particularly with some B2B, there is not enough of a substantial business loss or business risk for for digital to be seen as a risk mitigator. So often, often tools and techniques are used most when there is a perceived risk if you don't do it. Sure, okay. Rather than the value add if you do do it. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think for some it's seen as the icing on the cake rather than the fundamental okay. risk mitigation. So nice to have, not, not necessary. A nice, exactly. Yeah, okay. um, and so if, if firms or organisations are comfortable with the status quo, you know, what is, what is actually motivating them to, to do to do anything now I've got a, a wonderful example of this which is my grandma Olive I may have mentioned her on our last podcast Indeed you did. she gets mentioned a lot so Nanny Olive who is 98 and a half now that's very important <laughs> yeah, at this age for sure so she's on WhatsApp and FaceTime and she only got on those platforms a couple of years ago mm. now why on earth would she do that and that's because she is motivated to keep connected with her very unthoughtful family members who've all moved to Australia. <laughs> so inconsiderate. So inconsiderate. So my brother lives in in Sydney. I live in Sydney. You know, my brother has... Oh, it's um, two grandkids who two, fly both, the coop. Well, the, the two grandchildren, oh. the only two grandchildren oh. are in Australia. Right. She has great-grandchildren in Australia because my brother has uh-huh. two children. 
but she is motivated to keep connected and to see us and yeah. to keep laughing with with us and to keep um you know connected so she was so motivated to do that that actually sure. learning facetime and whatsapp just seemed like the second nature to her yeah and a BD director recently um, said to me, she said, you know, it has to be a priority to keep asking, is this the best way to engage my clients or build my brand? Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering whether everybody's asking that question. I think a lot of people are stuck in the, this is the way we have always engaged with our clients and yeah. built our brand. And to a certain extent, it works. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think there is also an element of, for a lot of people, of fear, you know, mm. that, that yeah, I might have a profile, but yeah. it's really scary. What yeah. if I, what's going to happen? And, you know, I've done a lot of coaching over the years with some really senior people, and I have had that conversation many, many times. So you're coaching them. I'm coaching them. And they are admitting fear. Yeah, they're very, well, on a one-on-one environment, quite openly. Yeah. But what happens if I post something that's a really good point and that links to something one of the reactions on my post was from richard w smith okay he gets a mention he'll, he'll hi richard enjoy, hi richard he'll enjoy that <laughs> and his comment was that some firms require bd and marketing to get permission from several people yes before they can post a comment about two hours after the conversation has moved on i used to work for an organization a number of many moons ago where junior people had to get express written permission from mm. their supervising partner before they could post anything on LinkedIn. And, you know, that is going to um, certainly have an impact on the the ability for people to jump in, make a real-time comment. It is. And I think even more intrinsically than that, it sends a pretty firm message about the ethos of the leaders of the organisation. Mm. And a lack of trust. Yes. A lack yes. of trust in the opinions or the ability for those yeah. others to communicate, yeah. which means they probably won't. Well, it's not, not so much being encouraged, you might yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. So the thing is, a lot, there's a lot. And as I said, this is not pointing the finger or being critical of, mm. of any individual. Mm. Um, we all really fear change. I suppose if you look at the legal sector, which is the one that I focus on the most, where it is all about risk mitigation. Sure, sure. You know, the, the perception of fear of something being up there all the time. And, and, you know, the media do do a lot of scaremongering around social mm. media. Yeah, they do. And we hear a lot about the negatives. But from a business perspective, the positives are so great. Mm, I could not agree more. Yeah. It did that did that post did um, get a lot of mm. a lot of responses and it, it was very interesting. It's obviously yeah. quite a hot topic. I was, I was really interested to read <laughs> read some of those um those disparate views. But I suppose it's we what we only got is a snapshot of the people who are engaging on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, okay, good point. Good point. So, you know, not the good people point. who don't do digital. Well, if they're not if they're not on there, that yeah, you're right. I haven't actually thought about that. I might feel like I should have, Catherine. <laughs> Catherine, I'd like to explore a couple of questions around having a balanced life. Mm. Uh, and referring to another blog that I read of yours recently about downtime being uptime. Mm. Uh, and I'd like to understand a little bit more about this. It's a massive topic for me personally. So I had chronic fatigue syndrome several years ago and I was kind of not working for two or three years and thank you Ian for, for taking me through that, that very difficult time. I was completely burnt out and I can attribute that to a number of factors. A lot of it was related to career, to being in a big 
really tough organisation to pushing myself to be a perfectionist, Mm -hmm. to always want to do the best possible job I could, not being happy with anything other than 100%. Mm. Um, Being in a challenging stakeholder environment where resilience is so important, and I'm not sure that I was... I don't think I was anywhere near as resilient as I, I needed to be. And I am regularly meeting with clients and candidates. Yes. And I will often sit opposite somebody who is telling me that they are feeling burnt out, they are okay. feeling exhausted, okay. and they are feeling like they're fatigued. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I mention my journey regularly really to show some empathy and yeah. to, to tell people that it's okay to talk about it. Mm-hmm. The professional services world, and there's so much. I saw something else this morning about, um, you know, burnout, mental health. Yes. People are talking about it more and more. They are. And there has been some serious press coverage around mental health issues mm. in firms where the billable hour, billable time is still prevalent. So I have developed over the years, I'm 46, I have, I have, I'm still learning, but I'm, I'm much wiser than I was when I got chronic fatigue. Sure. And I now have a sort of self-care toolkit that I dip into. So I've got a series of things that I know if I'm not feeling 100%, if I'm, if I'm stressed, if I'm working too hard, I can dip into my toolkit. That's personal to me. What's but in your toolkit? It involves things like uh, yoga. It's a big thing. Mm. Meditation. Having a chai latte. Ooh. Having a catch-up with a, with a girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, going for a walk on the beach. Mm-hmm. Um, reading a, a great book. Um, you know, spending time with my nieces. Watching the sunrise. And I've got a whole host of things yeah. that I love doing. And I do actually, I have written them down. So it's almost like I can dip into it. Okay. If I'm really struggling yes. and my I've got brain fog and I'm really high anxiety because I've been working too hard mm. and I can't think of anything sure. because my brain is yeah, sure. full up, yeah. then I've got a written list that yeah. I can go to. Mm. Resilience is so, so important. And, um, you know, I've been talking with a couple of my contacts quite recently about run, going to be running a series of training workshops for marketing and BD professionals and I'm getting facilitators in to run those and one of the key topics is going to be around resilience and the other one around um, EQ which okay. again plays a big part in in having a, a balance in life yes I suppose there are some fundamentals around have have rules and be strong with yourself around what hours you work and yeah the basics around that who's looking out for you who's your buddy who's keeping you accountable is it the person you live with at home is it a friend Mm -hmm. that can say to you you know what hours have you worked this week you asked me to keep you in check Mm. that's really important and and I certainly have have that in my life Um, some signs to look out for you know if anyone's listening to this and thinking I often feel lack of concentration is a big one because that means there's a lot going on in your brain and you can't focus on the here and now. Overwhelm, the need for stimulants, be that coffee, sugar, that mm-hmm. feeling of always needing something to, mm-hmm. to perk you up, um, potentially mood swings. But um, it's a work in progress for life. It never stops for me. I, I agree with you. And, you know, this is something you and I have talked about a little bit previously. Yeah. But I had a virus a few years ago that was 
pretty similar to chronic fatigue yeah. and basically spent three months in bed, you know, was, got into the office for about five hours once a week. And I found that to be incredibly confronting because prior to that, I'd considered myself naively in retrospect to be incredibly bulletproof. <laughs> you know, I could get up and go for a run in the morning mm. and I could stay up late at night. And I managed to do that for very, for many years whilst having a couple of little people and demanding roles mm-hmm. and a very full social life. Mm-hmm. And I've dramatically changed the way that I well, run my life, you know. Mm. I am lights out by 10.30 at least every night during the week and sometimes it's earlier. But getting up a whole lot more regularly at six or a little bit earlier and fitting in a run, yoga, walking the dog and a bunch of those things, um, things along those lines. And and also gardening has become a great passion And, and, and I think a large part of that is just that it's solitary and it's slowing down yeah. and it's touching nature, it's connecting with the earth and just being very slow and, and restoring my energy levels. Mm, and, fantastic. you know, I'm a real extrovert and mm. I didn't used to think that I needed that, but mm. it's it's become quite critical. Well, I'm a real extrovert, but actually as I get older, I'm becoming, I'm getting closer to the introvert if you look at Myers-Briggs, for example, yeah. uh, I was always a 9E and off the scale, but I'm moving towards the midline. Yeah. Um, and okay. I think that's a, as a result of perhaps focusing on some of the elements that I really need for myself. Sure. Yeah. It's an interesting mm. evolution, isn't mm. it? Catherine, this has been a really interesting conversation. I'm really grateful for your time today. Lovely to connect with you. As always. I'm sure we will get a lot of good feedback <laughs> as we did our first podcast. Oh, well, I hope it's, it's been interesting. You know, it's, 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 it's a pleasure and, and thank you very much because it's so lovely to have an opportunity to talk to somebody like you and share insights. And you've had some amazing people on the podcast. Mm. So I'm just honoured to be part of that. Thank uh-huh. you. Well, I'm very kind words. Thank you. <laughs> some, some good ones coming up as well. Thank you for listening to the Katie Talks podcast with me, Katie Bennett-Stenton. If you enjoyed this episode, please review me on iTunes to help others find this fabulous content. I've got some great thought leaders coming up in the series. Subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. I love feedback from listeners. You can find me at Katie B Marketing on Twitter or Katie Bennett-Stenton on LinkedIn.